Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. I'm Giles Brandreth. And I'm Afra Brandreth. And we're a father and daughter based in London in the UK. But each fortnight with the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast, we go travelling. We visit different countries around the world, Commonwealth countries. There are 56 in all. This week, the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast is visiting the beautiful island of Tobago, part of Trinidad and Tobago. And the reason we're going there is quite a curious one. It began, this adventure to Tobago today, began a few weeks ago when I was invited to a a gathering at Lancaster House in London in England, which is the home of the Commonwealth. That's where the Commonwealth Secretariat have their offices. And they said we're giving a party in the gardens to celebrate bees, and bee development, I said, bees and bee development. What do you mean, bees? Buzz, 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 bees. They said, yes, bees, 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 buzz, 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 bees. And I said, why is this? And they said, well, bees are very important, not just, you know, to create honey, but they're important to the economy of the world. And they're very important to the Commonwealth. I said, tell me more. And they explained to me that their charity, and this is a very grand do. In fact, uh, the uh, Queen Camilla, consort of King Charles III. King Charles, of course, is the head of the Commonwealth. She was on parade for this occasion. And they said, bees are terribly important because, for example, uh, this charity sends a kit that enables people to uh, make honey, hives to different countries where people begin beekeeping and they begin making honey, collecting honey and selling honey. So it's critical to uh, not just the environment, but to the economy in certain countries. And I said, this sounds fascinating. And they said, oh, yes, it's very important in the life of the Commonwealth. So I said, well, this is something of the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. And then they said, well, you know all about Gladstone, don't you? I said, sorry, Gladstone? Gladstone, who, who is he? I, I know there was a British prime minister about 200 years ago called Gladstone, uh, William Ewart Gladstone. And they said, no, 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 our Gladstone is Gladstone Ewart. Not just Gladstone Ewart, he's Gladstone Ewart Franklin Solomon. Gladstone, tell me about your extraordinary name, your fascination with bees. Tell us all about yourself, Gladstone Ewart Franklin Solomon. I've never met anyone with such a wonderful name. (laughs) No, you have me blushing. Um, So... Yeah, I, I thought my name is, is pretty interesting and fascinating too. Even though growing up through school, I thought it was a little too heavy. But um, at secondary school, I got an appreciation of British history. And I, I understood that you had one of your prime ministers by the name of Gladstone Ewart. So I say, hey, you know, maybe my dad and they wanted something when they gave me that name. But um. Our tradition here, and I'm, I'm 73, so roll back 73 years, and the thinking then when you had children was to name them after someone who had some notoriety. Uh, I, I guess that's how I got it. And um, I made my first trip to the UK in 93, and I realized that the name resonated well in, in English society. Some some folks even called me Winston. <laughs> so Winston close to Gladstone. I, I, I fell in love with my name before that, but that sort of reconfirmed, um, uh, you know, the, the sentiment, my acceptance of the sentiment. And I recredited my parents for 
given me such a distinguished name, which um, have accepted the challenge of living up to. Well, it is a great name. Uh, because I love words and language, I know that William Ewart Gladstone, who was a Victorian British Prime Minister, you can take yes. the name William Ewart Gladstone and you can rearrange the letters and make an anagram that reads, wild agitator means well. So that's a that was a famous joke in Victorian times. But the Franklin, I think, maybe you're named after Benjamin Franklin, who was, of course, an important figure in American history. Yeah. I, wasn't, I don't think he was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, but he certainly was involved in the founding of the United States of America. And Solomon, of course, is a is a biblical surname, the wisdom of Solomon. So you, exactly. have, you yeah. have heroic figures from British history, from American yeah. history, yeah. and even from the Bible. Uh, yes. Tell us a bit about your family. Though. Who were your parents? Where were you brought up? All right. So uh, I, I just chip in here that the Franklin, as I understood it, that was my grandfather's name, Thomas Franklin. So I'm carrying on that legacy. So uh, I was born in Trinidad. My my dad, and I'm a Caribbean person, as you'll hear in a little while. Um, my dad is from Tobago. And, you know, Trinidad and Tobago, we 22 miles apart. Um, Tobago is a smaller two island, 60,000 people, Trinidad, uh, about 20 times larger with a 1.5 million population, roughly. So uh, normally, um, a lot of folks from Tobago have to sojourn to Trinidad to seek employment and stuff like that. My dad was one of those persons. He joined the police force, met my mom in Trinidad, and that was it for Tobago. He got married and stayed in Trinidad. So I was born in Trinidad, but every summer holiday, you know, we call it um, July, August. That's the time schools take a long break. I've been coming to Tobago ever since, you know, ever since I know myself. Um, and I've always loved the place. It's sparsely populated. Uh, I, I, I must slip in this little boss. It's one of the, the most beautiful islands in the Caribbean, even though we, we're not center stage on the tourism map, but we have such a variety. We have um, reefs, mountains, waterfalls, uh, small lakes, solid rivers, um, you know, just, just beautiful stuff. So my dad was a member of the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service. Um, my mom was the uh, traditional housewife, did a bit of sewing and, and so on. And amongst them, they had four children. So I have a sister who is older than me. I'm the second. I have another sister and my brother. And so they, they are, let me give them some recognition. Uh, Gloria is my sister. <laughs> Cheryl is my younger sister. And Bran is my brother. So I've always been fascinated to, about Tobago, wanted to live here. And as soon as I got an opportunity, um, I was around 32 years. I'd spent four years in Canada, did a bit of hotel and tourism. Thought that uh, now is the time to make the move to Tobago. Um, so I came over and didn't too like the tourism industry, I must admit. Um, and so I was going through this mental process what am I going to be going to do? You know, how do I maintain myself? And going through that sort of meditative experience over a couple of days, as mysterious or whatever it sounds, I was sitting on the porch by some members of my family and unknown, unconsciously, I picked up a bee flying 
which landed on a flower. And babe, beekeeping, that was it. Beekeeping, I knew nothing of beekeeping. You know, could just spell the word, BW. So, so anything with the beekeeping, you know, I started to read, right? And um, that was just around the time I was coming to Tobago. And so I, I planned uh, my whole development around getting involved in Tobago. And that connected to Bees for Development because somewhere on that part, I heard of uh, IBRA, IBRA, the International Bee Research Association. I wrote them perhaps making some inquiries. This is uh, 83, 84. Nicola Bradbeer, who is the president and, and founder of Bees for Development, was with the organization at that time. She replied, I still have that letter dated 1984 <laughs> to date. And um, hey, my whole B opened. Because through writing Ibra, there was a gentleman from Red Hill, Surrey, another beekeeper, Michael Duggan. He is deceased now, but he was coming to Tobago to collect pollen and nectar samples. He was um, connected to uh, some professor at, at a university in Germany. So he went, it's a long story, which I'm cutting short. He went to Ibra to ask whether they had any contacts in Tobago. And because I wrote bees for the, because I wrote to um, the tropical desk, he was able to get my name and address. So he found me, I was his first point of contact in Tobago. And um, again, another door opened. Next thing, Trinidad and Tobago was in the National Honey Show, winning all your awards and, and, and stuff like that. And I would be coming to the UK and, and um, one thing led to the other culminating in this session that's taken place now. An amazing story. So those links across the Commonwealth have been so important for you. Is beekeeping um, something that is quite common in Tobago or were you really one of the kind of first people to become involved with it? Yeah, well, when I, when I got involved, which was uh, 1982, um, so I think I just crossed about 50, 50 years or something like that. There were, there were, I think, about 12 to 15 beekeepers. Um, but the practice was, was high, highly seasonal, as, as I understood it. Um, honey has always been part of the uh, medicinal uh, background or involvement of, of, of community, not as a sweetener. We use honey here as a, as a medical aid, you know, as a substitute to going to the doctor. So you would have honey and a variety of um, bush that you would boil to extract and then flavor it with honey, and that would be a lot of your medicine. So yeah, it was a known, um, very traditional product. I, I should also add that the bees we have here, are the, the European variety of bees introduced by the colonists uh, way back, um, but we are blessed with what we call stingless bees, which a lot of people love to hear about. Bees that don't sting, you know, they want to rear those bees. <laughs> um, those are the indigenous bees on the island. They are the ones who keep our, our biodiversity maintained. And as I understood, the whole of the Western Hemisphere was void of European honeybees. But do these stingless bees, do they look different from other bees? I mean, I, I know there are people who, for example, like grapes that are seedless 
And now <laughs> most of the grapes that you buy are seedless because people found the pips a bit irritating. I imagine everybody wants a stingless bee. What is the difference between the two? And can you tell it with a naked eye? Yes, yes, they are decidedly uh, different. Well, you know, the, the commonality, the basic commonality is, is the six legs that all insects have. But um, on the island, we have uh, four species. And again, interestingly, there's a story related to that. We had uh, Dr. Rinas Sumaya from the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands. They have a strong um, tropical beekeeping and they actually came to, the, to Tobago in 1982 to further understand um, our stingless bees. So we have four variety of stingless bees here. Uh, the, the, the biggest Paul trigona, um, it's about, for simplicity, roughly half the size of a regular European worker bee. That's the largest. And um, the other three varieties decrease in size. Um, the smallest, uh, maybe a millimeter or two. Um, but we have all of them. We have all of them here. What, what is the valuable aspect of um, their biology, as we understand it, is that the honey is of a higher medicinal value than the European honeybee, as more naturally occurring hydrogen peroxide in it. And another clear differentiation is the viscosity. Our stingless bee honey here would be more, let me use the term, runny, not as thick. But the thing is, it doesn't ferment. And that speaks to the hydrogen peroxide um, moving in the direction of natural antibiotics um, that's in the honey. So it is used, but because the, the, have it, the nest size, the, the colony size would be much smaller, they don't get into the 40, 50 thousands, no way there in terms of the number or the size of a colony. Um, you may probably have, I, I don't know, four or five thousand, but it's usually a very smallness and the production is, is very small. Their flying range is even smaller, right? And they occupy, um, you know, any, they, they are ubiquitous. They are all over the island. Um, people doing agriculture, uh, young boys growing up, you would find them in the bush. You would plunder the hive, use a stick, and get familiar with the with the nectar from them. Of course, they would also collect pollen. And as I indicated, they are the ones who ensure our natural biodiversity. Do you export your honey? I mean, it sounds like it's pretty good, good stuff. Um, is it only available in Tobago or could we buy some in England or maybe somewhere else in the Commonwealth? We're talking of the stingless bee honey? No, because the We're volume... talking of the Gladstone honey. Yes. Oh, the award-winning, the award-winning Gladstone honey. So the thing is this. Um I, let, let me put it this way. I'm I'm a victim, a victim of of, of my success. In my case, and other beekeepers are too. So um, we used to, I was able to market honey through the supermarkets. Of course, most of them, that has changed a lot. Um, 
when I got on the scene in the 80s, um, the use of honey was a regular part, but let's say the consciousness, um, general health consciousness across the society wasn't as high as it is now. Um, through information and so on, and uh, people becoming aware of more chemicals in food and the need to use more natural stuff, the demand for honey really expanded. Beekeepers be, were struggling basically to meet demand, but now um, we definitely can't, and that has opened the door to another a negative aspect of this thing where there's some adulteration taking place. So the extent of that is where I was able to sell most of my honey through supermarkets. Each year I had to cut back because then I would also sell from home. I had a sign in front of my door. Um, but then I, I started to run out from home. So I had to pull back from the supermarkets. And now I only sell from home. And sometimes I still run out. <laughs> well, we shall come knocking on your door very soon. Before we do, and before you tell us a bit about Bees for Development Around the World. This, of course, yeah. is the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. So yes, it is. we need some poetry. I only know one poem that is about honey, and it's one I've known for many years, and it goes like this. I eat my peas with honey. I've done it all my life. It makes them taste quite funny, but it keeps them on the knife. So that's as close <laughs> as I get to a poem uh, about uh, Good enough. Uh, but you have a friend who is a poet, and you're going to introduce us to her now. Tell us about yes. your friend. Right. So I have Maria Bristol, who is one of our local poets. I um, honestly didn't feel uh, that you know I was familiar enough with poetry too. So I asked Maria whether whether she would chip in, um, and she willingly agreed. You know. So. Um, Maria is best suited to elaborate on, on her skills and, and her involvement, so I can pass over to Maria. And she's, I'm happy that um, I, I've listened to the other podcast, and I, I, I don't think I, I heard such eloquence. I don't think I could have matched up, so I, I brought somebody who I thought could. Well, Maria, we want to hear all about you. I hope you like honey. And having established that you do, if you do, that's wonderful. If you don't, we really don't want to talk to you. But we assume <laughs> you do. We want to hear all about you. Where where do you come from? Uh, what's your background, your childhood? And how do you come to be a poet? Okay. Um, well, as you heard before, my name is Maria Bristol. We did Darlington. I did all to the end. I am a Trinidadian. My father was also a police officer. And... Uh, we lived in Trinidad and then we migrated to Tobago. So I've spent the greater part of my life in Tobago. I, um, I credit my love for writing, for my love for reading. I'm a booker, my love to read. I read any and everything I can put my hands on. I'm a Bobby Tobago Writer's Guild, established here in Tobago. And we are a group of writers you know, who have skills. We conduct workshops. We encourage each other. Some of us are published, some are not. And we have published a book, a collective book of about seven poets in print, volume one, and we are getting ready to do volume two. So, yes, I love honey. 
I use it mostly for digital purposes. Like if you have a bowl coming on, you put the honey with the lime and take it. Um, I didn't really think about writing about on um, the bees, but while Glasson was talking, I wrote something. So I'm going to share that first. And it's simply called bees. Wow. Bees be buzzing everywhere we see. Very important to many economy. Beekeeping is indeed a necessity with many benefits to the society. Small in stature, but very powerful indeed. Making sweet honey to meet every need. Buzzing around from flower to flower, keeping pollination each and every hour. Wow. Beekeeping is very popular, used for medicinal purposes near and far. These tiny creatures have a big impact. And this is a very interesting fact. So let's salute our tiny friend who to our biodiversity surely will lend a big support to our existence. Thank you, God, for the bees' presence. Wow, wow, wow. wow. All over the world, people are applauding you there. Maria, that's amazing. We've had some wonderful poetry on the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast, but this is the first time anyone has created a poem while we've been making the podcast. Yes. That, I mean, honestly, you deserve an award for that. That's brilliant. <laughs> Your, Thank you. Thank when did you first you. get into writing poetry yourself? Inspired by your I reading. But, but when, were you a child when you began? I love to read. Mm -hmm. And I love to read poems as a child so but you know, i'm reading all these poems i had something so i started to write poems from the eight so i would write a little poem here a little poem there and then i'm going to say well well done well done and that has grown i'm in a restaurant i have no paper i have a napkin i have a pen and the words will come to me and i start to write so i have been writing i have done a hundred poems I keep promising to compile them and make a book, publish a book, but I'm hoping that before this ends, I will get around to doing that. So I have a poem that I can share. Um, tomorrow is our 61st anniversary of independence here in Trinidad and Tobago. And I wrote a poem titled Happy Independence. So I'm going to read it now. Happy Independence. From the days of the Arawak's Caribs to British rulers us in groups. Finally, our freedom in 1962 passed and our own flag was hoist at last. Celebration time to mark this day and begin had come our way. Freedom in our minds and souls as we had finally achieved our goals. Military parade to show our solidarity People in red, white, and black in the city, tags in hand, happy and being merry, as they, this day clearly marks our history. Fireworks to end our day in style, enjoyed by man, woman, and many a child. As we end our independent celebration, may God always bless our nation. Here in Trinigo, every creed and race is to find an equal place. Our watchwords of discipline, tolerance, and production, all designed to build up our nation. Together we aspire, together we achieve, as true independence we hope to, uh, to receive. So happy independence, Trinbagonians, one and all. 
We are blessed, so please stand tall. Magnificent celebration of Tobago and Trinidad. Wonderful there. Uh, we recently celebrated, and this is the 411th of August, the Commonwealth Youth Games in Trinidad and Tobago. Yes. yes. We had a thousand athletes from the Commonwealth and officials um, converting in Trinidad and Tobago. And tomorrow, the 31st of August, is going to be our 61st uh, independence anniversary. Before we lose you both, and I know the line is a little bit shaky between here and Trinidad and Tobago, but I hope people can hear this clearly around the Commonwealth. Do you have, Maria, a second poem for us? So I have a poem titled Carnival Is. It goes like this. Carnival is mass, a kaleidoscopic display of artistic creativity, depicting multifaceted characters, mystical, mythical, and real. A rainbow of colors brought a shimmering brilliance by the rays of the sun, a sea of color radiating the essence of our multiracial ethnicity. Carnival is still the pulsing drums of oil drums, beating out tunes unbelievably sweet and melodic, pleasing to the ear, tempting to the feet, resounding in the soul, music arrangements created beyond wildest imagination, tunefully executed in harmony. Carnival is Calypso, but don't forget Soka, Extempo, and Chutney, skillfully crafted by composers to make you think. Wonderful music calling you to dance to prance, to gyrate, to jump up. Social commentary, party tune, jump and wave and misbehave proms in tuneful song. Carnival is revelry. In a party in a fete on the streets, enjoying the freedom, safe from judgment, total abandonment. Wet mud, colorful paint, powdered sailors, old masks, long-time characters, black devils, blue devils, jab-jabs, all contributing to make Trinbago Carnival a spectacle as the greatest show on earth. You got to see that Giles and Afro. We're going to have to come. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to have to eat some of your honey. Now, tell us, congratulations, Maria. Tell us, please, Gladstone. To create one small jar of honey, how many bees does it take to make that? And how many bees do you have in all your beehives, you personally? Right. So, yeah, in the second part I'll answer first. I have uh, 80 odd colonies, and a colony is a family of bees, and they are in six different locations. Right? And in um, the family of bees, how many would there be in one colony? So, at optimum size, uh, 40, 50,000, you can get stronger than that. Um, but you would start with a small unit of maybe uh, six, seven, eight, a thousand bees, you know, with a queen, the, the three cast of bees in it, one queen, a lot of workers, and a very few drones. And then they expand. Um, so full strength, reaching the heights of their population during the time when there's most nectar available. So that would be the heights of your summer. And how long does a bee live? A bee would live about three weeks, average. Mm -hmm. It depends on how hard they work. So in your winter, in our rain season, because they work less, they would live longer. Um, but 
at the height of the season. And we, we have uh, roughly 12 hour daylight and 12 hour um, night light, if I can put it that way. So that um, would be less flying time for our bees compared to England, where you can have 16, 17 hours of work time for the bees. So your bees up there will probably live a little less. They fly until their wings get frazzled out. They, they are endemic workers. They know nothing else. It's tough being a bee. I had no idea they lived so short a life and worked so hard. I'm going to be eating my honey with much more respect in future. Please, please. They work, they work very, very hard to provide you with that um, nourishing. But it's, it's the only product of its kind in the world. You know, it's, it's, it's at the very heart of the environment. You know, their work in biodiversity and sustenance and maintenance of the natural environment is even more valuable than the honey that they produce. The honey is really an incentive that they get for um, facilitating this process called pollination that enables fruit to bear and, and um, seeds and so on to be formed. You know, if it wasn't for them, it is said that 70% of the food we eat now is dependent on insect pollination bees being the primary pollinator. And so honey is, is just the synthesis of the nectar, the inducement for bees to do that pollination process. I'm not going to tell you about drone bees, right? You have yes. to find that out on your own. They don't, yeah, they have a short life. Oh, well, you have fortunately had a long life. And for the past 20 years, you've been a trustee of the Bees for Development Trust. Oh, yes. In a nutshell, what does the trust do? How does it help people across the Commonwealth with why is it called Bees for Development? The name, the name really says it all. Um, amongst, let me just say, the, the poorest in the world, where our resources are thin, um, food, tools, housing, and everything. In the natural space, and um, there are these God-given insects that function in there, that produce honey, pollen, other products that are so useful to man, right? So bees could be seen as a tool for development amongst the poor echelons of society. Um, using simple equipment, uh, simple apparatus, stuff that's locally available that you don't have to put out any significant expenditure on. The poorest of the poor, using uh, utensils, pieces of wood that they found, um, weaving baskets and so on, could look after with a bit of training and knowledge, a colony of bees, and at the appropriate time, harvest the honey, which has an exceptional shelf life, so it doesn't spoil on their hands too quick. And every life form goes after honey. So there's always a market fit. And so from that perspective, Bees for Development was intended or designed, established by Dr. Bradbeer and, and Helen Jackson to um, explore this this opportunity and help increase incomes amongst the poorest of the poor. 
Well, the work that you're doing is marvellous and we've really loved finding out a little bit more about Tobago and hearing some amazing poetry as well. Certainly. I'm hoping there's going to be honey still for tea, as that famous line from a poem by Rupert Brooke, for a long, long time to come. And with beekeepers like you, Gladstone, there will be. And Maria, we love your work. Thank you for sharing your poems with us. And I hope you do publish that volume. Now you've got 100 poems there. 101, including the one you wrote actually today for us. Yeah, we got a bee poem done today. That's an accomplishment. It is. You get an A plus for your B poem. You're going to get it to Bees for Development and ask them to publish it. How's that? We'll get hold of them. And you'll find on our website, we'll give details of Bees for Development. So people who want to get involved in the work of the trust and the charity can do so. And oh, yes. um, we think we've had a wonderful time with you. So thank you both for be being with us today on the Poetry Podcast. A plan would be. <laughs> yes. It's be been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, BB for now. I mean, bye-bye for now. <laughs> I love it. Take care. Blessings. That's it for this podcast. Our thanks to Gladstone Solomon and Maria Bristol, who chose to read a poem that she wrote whilst we were recording the podcast about bees and also Happy Independence Day and Carnival. She's brilliant. He's brilliant. And of course, we have visited Trinidad before because we did a special podcast with Dame Fluella Benjamin, Baroness Benjamin, member of the Order of Merit, about her childhood in Trinidad. And I think we put that out last Christmas. The point is, 56 Commonwealth countries and special episodes as well here on the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, just go into the back catalogue and explore some of the other extraordinary countries we have visited while touring the Commonwealth. See you next time on the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. The Commonwealth Poetry Podcast is produced by the University of Chester. And at the University of Chester, incidentally, there are students and teachers from 27 different Commonwealth countries. Oh, yes. Our thanks to them and to the Royal Commonwealth Society. Oh, I hope it's a stingless one. <laughs>